0: Come on, keep up. Okay, this this looks like a good spot. Okay, mijos, turn off your lights. Don't be scared. Come on. All right, tonight we're lucky. With the full moon shining bright, we can still see somewhat. We can see all 15, let me, let me um, well, if you're going to cover your face, you don't count, so I only see 14, okay, 15 members of our group. If you get in close to the fire, out of the corners of your eyes, we can almost see the tree surrounding us. Now imagine if the moon wasn't out. We would be plunged into complete darkness, and naturally, we'd be a little scared. But, the moonlight is also misleading, and lures us into a sense of safety. Sure, you can see a bit, but can you see deep into the forest? Are those shadows, or something more? There are things in here that thrive in the moonlight, and this forest is known to play tricks on people. Do you know why we always count the members in our group? Correct. To make sure no one has gone missing, but also to make sure we don't have any extra members joining us. That reminds me of a story.
1: turn back now for the shadows own this land the old rotted wooden sign in front of us read Lindsay and john are looking over the map trying to figure out a faster route they haven't noticed the sign yet but i know they can feel it the unwelcoming static energy flowing from it thickening the air in the surrounding area the looming trees behind the foreboding words seem to be breathing consuming pure sound within it the birds aren't singing the crickets aren't chirping the air is stale if we cut through the trail on the left we can reach the top of the mountain faster it'll cut about three hours off of our hike i don't want to miss the opportunity of seeing the full moon said Lindsay. but we don't even know how well defined the trail is if it's damaged it could set us back even more than we are now i reply with a frown you wanted to go backwoods hiking and camping, right? Let's be adventurous and take the path less traveled, John's voice of reason replies. I look to Lindsay, who shrugs her shoulders in response, clearly indifferent to John's reasoning. John was always considered the interpret friend out of our trio, while I was always the cautious one. Lindsay was a nice medium between us, a balance of weariness and impulsive desire for adventure and she was currently teetering on the other side of the line I was standing on. Well, let's keep moving somewhere, at least. We're losing daylight. John presses forth before the lull of silence between us stretches even further, and he turns and takes the path to the left without hesitation. What about the warning sign? I point out, my outstretched hand presenting the clear, etched words into the aged plywood. Lindsay snaps a photo of it as John approaches. Turn back now for the shadows own this land, he reads aloud, snickering at its warning, dulled by the lack of tangible danger. Lindsay, get a picture of Dan and me with the sign, and I hear the soft shudder of her camera as she obliges to his request. Don't you think the sign is a warning? Shouldn't we stay on the original path? I suggest weakly at a last-ditch effort to steer clear of its path. At this rate, we'll be setting up our tents in the dark. Two versus one, John finalizes before he moves on without another word and takes the path to the left. Lindsay follows quickly behind as she continues to snap photos, her polaroids birthing unnatural sounds into the stale air makes the hair on my neck stand up. As the silhouette of my friends are entangled further and further into the darkness of the thick woods, My mind pleads with me to turn and run the other way. I know this isn't a good idea. I know something clearly must be wrong as an unsettling chill runs up the crevices of my spine. But I got this far, right? Just a few hours away from seeing the full moon in all its glory. Walking through this dense forest just a little longer isn't too bad. It'll be worth it. It has to be, I tell myself as I walk forward. The trail in front of us is narrow and overgrown with roots. The overhead canopy appears so thick and heavy, the light is barely peeking through, and the barely visible path seems to stretch further and further ahead of us, never ending. We walk for an entire hour before we eventually stop next to a small stream. John tosses his pack to the ground and makes his way to the small portion of running water to scoop up a handful of it to his lips. He immediately gags, spitting the water everywhere as he stumbles back. "'Jesus, that's foul!' he curses loudly as he rubs his mouth roughly with the back of his hand. I feel my nose crinkle suddenly, a strong scent of decay and iron thickening the air. Lindsay must be smelling the same thing, her expression unpleasant as she plugs her nose. "'Smells like something died over here,' she huffs out as I scan the area for anything dead nearby." The shaded areas in the forest are as black as night, and the surrounding foliage remains just as thick and impenetrable as it was when we first started on this path. One could walk 20 feet from the group and disappear. As I scanned, the stench got stronger. "'Let's keep moving up the trail,' I say, and John and Lindsay agree with little protest." As they are gathering their things, they so haphazardly tossed to the side earlier, I notice something in the shadows of the trees. I can't quite make out what it is, but I know the shape of the shadows are all wrong. I do not know why they look so unsettling to me. And I peer deeper into the darkness, trying to trace the outline of whatever I'm looking at, until I am abruptly struck with an instinctive fear. A surge of tingling panic crawls up my body, and I am growing more and more disconcerted as I try and fail to decipher whatever the hell it is in front of me. All I can tell, all I know, is whatever it is, it's staring back at me. Dan! John suddenly yells next to me, breaking me from a trance-like state as he shakes my shoulder and breaks my gaze. Grab your pack, dude, we're moving on. I take a moment to nod at him, inhaling a sharp breath before glancing back toward that ghastly visage, only to see nothing but unmoving shadows. We continue on the trail, Lindsay now taking photos of the low-hanging mossy branches and eclectic logs. John starts to study the map to ensure we remain on the right trail, his earlier stream experience obviously souring his excitement for the path we took. As we trudge forward, I remain in the back of the group trying to figure out if what I saw was real or just a trick of the forest's light. The stench of iron and decay lingers in the area, almost like it's attached to our clothing. I try not to think of the smell acting as a marker on us, giving away our position to something not us. You know the Navajo lived in these outskirts of the forest long ago, John breaks the silence while studying the map. They never crossed into these parts of the mountains, believing it was cursed. Instead, they would exile anyone from the tribe who had committed a great crime to these mountains. What was considered a great crime? Lindsay inquires as she snaps a photo of the fallen tree blocking the trail. Murder, betrayal of the tribe, practicing witchcraft, he responds. And my personal favorite, the murder of a close relative in order to gain evil supernatural powers. Now that's some metal shit, Lindsay laughs from up ahead. John smirks as we exchange an amused look before he continues. My college professor told me this legend about the area we're hiking near. I don't remember exactly where, but I do remember the legend goes that a medicine man from the tribe started dabbling in some darker rituals. He started using these rituals in secret on himself and a few loyal followers in the hopes to gain more power. Eventually, driven by greed, he and his followers kidnapped the daughter of the chieftain. They believed killing her would give them supernatural powers and absolute control over the tribe. During the sacrifice, the chieftain and his warriors ambushed the medicine man and his followers. They fled, being chased by the warriors for days, until they ran themselves into the land of the exiled, where they were never seen again. So if those are these woods we're in right now, we could be camping on some haunted grounds. As those words leave John's mouth, A soft, distant laugh is heard from the surrounding trees. A burning feeling spreads across my chest at the familiarity of it, sounding almost like a real laugh, but having its authenticity lessened by something uncanny. Like an animal trying to mimic Lindsay's laugh from earlier. John takes a few steps forward off to the side of the trail, moving in the direction of the sound when another hushed, laugh echoes from a completely different direction john looks back to us his expression eerily blank as he says guys i think we need to keep moving without a second thought all three of us scramble back to the path and quickly move ahead walking as fast as we can with 40 pound packs on the scattered echoes of the mimicked laugh can be heard behind us rhythmically bouncing from one area of the forest to the next as if something was playing the sound on repeat my chest is on fire now the overwhelming smell and taste of iron seeping down my throat i turn to look at lindsay and see that she is just as frightened as i am her face is flushed and her eyes look watery as she glances back at me as i open my mouth to speak a tree nearby suddenly shakes violently and heavy off-pitched laughter two octaves too low cracks through the air without hesitation the three of us break into a sprint up the trail. The distorted laughter is now coming from the left. No, it's coming from the right. Now it's behind. The warping sound keeps pace as we run. I hear Lindsay gasping next to me, choking down her sobs as she keeps pace, while John demands us to run. Run, keep running. Something catches my eye. And when I trace the movement, I bite down a scream when I see what looks like a shapeless shadow moving in between the trees. It jumps from one gap of darkness to another, assuming that shadow's shape and disappearing. I eventually tear my gaze away from whatever it is, unexpectedly running straight into John and Lindsay, who have now stopped moving. Gasping for air, I notice the stench has intensified even more. Jesus, this fucking smell. I think I'm going to be sick. Lindsay groans as she suddenly leans over and vomits. I saw something in the woods. It was following us. I tell the others between gasps. John gives Lindsay some water and sits her down on a fallen tree to the side of the trail before he turns back to me and says, I think we need to calm down. Nothing was following us. We all just got a little spooked by the story and we heard an echo of Lindsay's laugh. I feel a snarl stretch my lips upward at his blatant denial, the stench now burning my eyes. John! Something is following us. I saw it back there. We fucking heard it. We need to get out of here right now. John shakes his head before raising a dismissive hand at me. You need to chill out. Everything is going to... John! My blood runs icy cold as I hear my own voice suddenly scream from a distant part of the forest. We pause at the undeniable sound, my heartbeat roaring in my ears as panic begins to bubble and churn in my stomach. John inhales a sharp breath next to me as he helps Lindsay to her feet. What was that? She asks in a weak voice, her eyes darting back and forth between us. John just shakes his head again before he guides her back onto the trail, Whatever it is, we're not sticking around here to find out. We've got to keep moving now. I think I'm going to be sick. Another voice bellows from a distance, parroting Lindsay's earlier warning. The voice sounds like it's in the same frequency as the mimicked laugh from earlier, low-pitched, inhuman, and forced. John? I start, but he cuts me off with a rough shove as he orders, Move! But it's too late. In that moment, Lindsay is violently dragged back into the woods by something indistinguishable amidst the dense darkness. John and I rush after her, following her trail of fading screams, and continue to descend deeper and deeper into the woods and further and further away from the trail. John, wait! I yell after him as the blind panic wears off and I realize how disoriented and lost we are. John, we've got to stop and regroup. We're going deeper into the forest without any supplies. We need to go get help. John scoffs at me, snapping. It'll take us all night to get back to the ranger station. She could be dead by then, Dan. I think we're close now. We have to find her. We have to try. He pulls out a flashlight from his pack and heads in a direction I'm not sure is the one Lindsay had been dragged to. Desperately, I follow suit. The little sunlight overhead begins to dip further away as we continue to call Lindsay's name over and over again, dusk beginning to settle in the corners of the sky. The two of us wander aimlessly for some time when John stops abruptly, head cocked to the side, and then bolts forward without warning. "'Over here!' he yells, and I rush over to see Lindsay's jacket on the ground. "'She's got to be here somewhere close!' The bloodstains look fresh." still vibrant red, even soaking one side of the jacket. My mouth runs dry at the implication, and the smell of iron thickens the air around us. Then, a quiet, hushed voice murmurs very close to us. Jesus, this fucking smell. Lindsay? John calls out cautiously. Our bodies recoil at the rustling of bushes nearby. John shines his flashlight ahead where its glow spills across the outline of Lindsay's body. She is just standing a few feet away, bruised, bloody, and her mouth thinned in a straight line. Lindsay, are you okay? John exclaims as we rush over to her. Lindsay doesn't say a word, her wide eyes staring blankly at us, unfamiliar and unmoved, almost like she's never seen us before. Lindsay, are you hurt can you walk i ask examining her body for any deep cuts or broken bones john something isn't right why won't she answer us john takes one final look at Lindsay's wounds and replies i think she's just in shock we need to get her out of here now there is no room for argument as he wraps his jacket around her and begins to guide us back out of the forest or at least in the direction we think is out of the forest I try to ignore the way Lindsay struggles to walk, almost as if she forgot how to, and chalk it up to adrenaline as I stride ahead to help navigate us out of the woods. In our fit of panic and desperate attempt to chase after Lindsay, we had strayed pretty far from the trail, and it was now completely dark out. Trying to find our way back to the path is going to be almost impossible in this state, and the stench of acidic iron is now the strongest it has ever been. As we quietly discuss our best course of action, John suddenly stops and shines his light at something on the ground. Hold on. I think that's part of Lindsay's bag. He hurries over to it and follows the trail of scattered contents from her bag, picking them up as he goes. I quickly follow after him with Lindsay lagging slowly behind. Just as he rounds a corner out of sight, I hear a scream and I bolt as fast as I can towards him. Around the corner, John stands near the base of a massive tree. The light emitting from his flashlight is shuddering and I suddenly realize his hands are trembling violently. I focus my eyes toward the glow of his flashlight. There slumped over a fallen tree is Lindsay's body. Her neck is torn up on the right side. Her legs are visibly broken and one of her arms is missing. She has a massive hole in her chest and blood pools around her lifeless body. John and I stand staring for what seems like an eternity, absorbing the grisly scene, when we hear Lindsay begin to giggle behind us, until it becomes louder and louder, drawing out into distorted laughter. Frenzied terror runs through me at that sound, and John and I turn to look at what we thought was Lindsay earlier, but is now something so horribly different. The thing stands about eight feet tall, its gaunt humanoid body disproportionate and unbalanced. Its arms are long, almost touching the ground, and its legs are backwards, broken and bent preternaturally. The ribs of the creature protrude like they've been broken and reset poorly dozens of times. The head of the creature is wearing the face of a coyote, with deer antlers attached to its skull. To my horror, I can see the eyes behind the face of the coyote, studying us, calculating like a predator would with its prey. Something wet and dark drips from one of its hands with bent-looking fingers, and bile rises in the back of my throat when I realize it's a human heart. Lindsay's heart? My eyes fixated on this horrible thing. I barely notice the dense fog that rolls in. The creature breaks its gaze to shake its body and laugh that awful, inhuman laugh, all warped and off pitch, like it's coming out backwards from its throat. It takes one last look at us before it begins to consume the heart. The disgusting, wet sound is enough to break John and I out of our trance, and we immediately take off in the opposite direction of the creature. We hear it running and jumping from the trees as it follows us not far behind, It yells out in my voice, while laughing at us and that of our dead friend, crying out familiar, daunting phrases as it chases after us. The fog is thick now, and I can't see John as he continues to sprint ahead, disappearing into the darkness. Bam! I hit a tree dead on and tumble to the ground in pain. My ankle crumples under me, and I groan out in sheer agony as I try to pull myself up to no avail john is calling out my name john i call back my throat is raw from screaming and i can hear my voice cracking as i cry out john i'm over here john i'm over here something calls out from the darkness in the likeness of my own voice dan john calls back i think i know where you are i need you to call out to me one more time My body is shaking all over as I try to pull myself upright, leaning onto the nearest tree, my hand tight against my mouth, holding back any sounds. I hear the cracking of leaves and twigs as something heavy steps over them. I press myself further against the tree in attempts to hide myself even more. I silently wait for the footsteps to pass, tears welling up my eyes. My heart beats so loud the creature can surely hear it. The footsteps fade and an eerie silence falls over the forest. I hold my breath and slowly slide back into the safety of the tree. Dan, John's voice whispers near my ear. I can barely make out the outline of him against the blackness of the forest. His body looks like it's shaking. The fog lifts just enough for me to see John. My eyes widen with fear, and the bitter metallic smell rolls through the air in heavy waves. John's face is covered in blood and his mouth twists into an awful smile as we lock eyes. Dan, he says, except it's not in his voice anymore. The voice is distorted like it's miles away. Dan, I think I know where you are. I want to scream except nothing comes out of my mouth. A clawed hand touches my chest. A warm, wet sensation bursts forth as it reaches further into me and emerges, gripping my beating heart. The voice lets out a wild laugh, twisted and inhuman, as the darkness of the fog descends upon me at last. You just listen to The Land of Shadows. Written by Patrick Johnson, Katina Hawksworth, and Don Chatlin. Sound design and performance by Don Chatlin. This was a Beyond the Screams production. For more episodes, go to beyondthescreams.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.